Well, hello there. Hey, it was uh, recently Thanksgiving, and what better way to step into the spirit of the holidays than a road trip? This is a John Hughes film released in 1991. Please take your seats. Matinee Minutia is about to begin. Well, hey, dilly hi, dilly ho there, Mr. Smelly. Uh, how are you this fine evening? Uh, doing good. <clears throat> uh, winter's here. Um, we've, we've had snow on the ground for a couple days, and uh, on my way to Spud's Flats, where the uh, Marionette Theater is, <clears throat> I saw snow all along the way, so here we go. You know, um, we would certainly get a dusting before I managed to put the rest of my landscaping to Betty by for the seas. <laughs> it's oh. kind of like, you know, kind of like uh, washing your car and then it suddenly rains. So, um, you know, if you weren't ready for the season here in the Northeast yet, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh -huh. Hey, and uh, over there. Uh, across the globe on the other side rt cruiser who's in the chat room he's about to start summer oh wow get out your suntan lotion there how about that hmm someday maybe i'll uh you know i will um trip uh the time zones i suppose and uh see what it's like to be summering in the winter <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Australia is a part of the world I would really like to see. And, you know, coincidentally, the director of the film we're discussing tonight is from that land. That's right. That is absolutely true. So I, um, you know, I, I figure we would uh, a little bit later talk a little bit about the Thanksgiving season because that did recently pass. And, you know, um, some of us uh, celebrated a little bit differently, but uh, I was thankful that we were able to get together with Mama Billy. And uh, it was a small affair, but it was a delightful visit. A friend of hers down the hall who had recently moved out was... A, uh, a pretty accomplished cook and she had a fully stocked kitchen and for Christmas this year I am going to be making an old-fashioned Christmas pudding and mm. it's going to feature Mama Billy's gift of blackberry brandy mm. yes now uh, I, I forget uh, but if memory serves a real Christmas pudding you know so yeah, supposedly real authentic you use lard or, or uh, not lard uh, uh, oh suet suet, suet. Mm -hmm. i uh, i hear tell i am previewing my recipes and um well let's just say we got a late wedding anniversary gift because we have been together 10 years billy and i and um, someone gave you some suet no <laughs> okay even better we got small appliances we got an instant pot <laughs> okay someday <laughs> you'll have to tell me what the hell you do with those things it's it's basically an electric pressure cooker okay 
But uh, anyway, oh, oh, oh no, no, it's not that that one I know about. It's okay. the sous vide. I have no freaking clue what a sous vide is. I, I think that I just got a lesson in French because I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, you don't? You know, maybe it's a kind of uh, 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 what the, you just said. It's a kind of pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so the holidays are upon us, and I hear tell that our senior showgirl is in the house. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah, oh my goodness, Gertie, that Pilates class, it's really paying off. Don't you think? Ain't I lovely? Hey, DJ, mm-hmm. this is another movie where I could have been cast. Oh, would <clears throat> Not you as wanna... the mom, no, no. <laughs> but really, one of them two whores? No, seriously. Uh, I could have been one. I should have been uh, in the back seat. Well, I, I really do should've. hear that you like a fast car. Do I ever? <laughs> do I ever? Oh, well, get those fast car shoes downstairs, miss. Uh, we want to introduce tonight's show. Okay. Very good. I'll, uh, I'll be right down there. All right. There she goes. Doyle is a privileged kid whose skewed views of his mother's choices have driven a wedge between them. He's lost the joy of youth, but he's about to get help from an unexpected source, his mother's new boyfriend, Dutch. He's a self-made man whose last intention is to impress his girlfriend's kid, but He's been sent to fetch the boy at school to make for a happier holiday. Will Doyle learn to mind his P's and Q's? Will Dutch cross the line and go to jail? Well, grab some Tums and a lighter. It's time for Dutch, a John Hughes film starring Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry. Hit it, boys! What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Okay, so as our senior showgirl was letting you know there, we've got a a holiday road trip movie. And, uh, well, this stars the uh, the star of Fox's Married with Children, which was uh, newly on the air in the heyday when this film came out in theaters. But, uh, you know, speaking of the theater, how about we play for you what you might have seen in the previews if you were a movie-going person in those Ooh, days? The trailer. I'm so lonesome, I could cry. <laughs> Let me go down and get him. I'm a communicator. I'm a breakthrough kind of guy. Your mom's on the phone. I don't have a mom. You may have a mom. I have a mother. They've only just met. I'm a friend of your mother's. I came to get you to bring you home. And already, oh. they get along. <laughs> Like family. I'm not going anywhere with you. What do you like to do for fun? Oh, you like to wiggle and grunt. 
Me too. So you and Doyle are getting along well. Ah, he's not a bad kid. We're getting along just great. Come on, give it to me, pipsqueak. Taking the time, we're seeing the country. And as Doyle himself said, nothing beats traveling the highways and byways. Okay, sugar, what'll it be? What won't make me vomit? <laughs> Give me the cheese. This isn't working out. We're not masters of the highway. We were robbed by homebound hookers. Only because you fell asleep when I got excited. You did? I know where Dutch and Doyle are staying tonight. Knowing Doyle, it'll be first class. 20th Century Fox presents the story of a boy. I got a deck of racy playing cards. Who lost the child in himself. And the man who helped him find it. Is that your most pathetic look? That's not going to get us a ride. This is pathetic. <laughs> Try it. See, I'm not such a bad guy, huh? Dutch. You're like a great big demented child. <laughs> All right, then. There you go. Hey, uh, before we get going, let me just say hi to folks in the chat room because uh, we actually do this live. Bless you. Ooh, it's um, the Feather Boa. Oh, the Catch Feather it out on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's uh, uh, tell you a couple things. First of all, we do this live, and you can be here with us when we do it live. And it's the first and a third Friday of every month. And it's at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, all you have to do is go over to matinemanusha.com and uh, uh, follow the instructions on, on how to listen when you when you want to get on live. There's a, a chat room by Discord. Um, you click on the tower and uh, you can hear. But also, DJ just mentioned YouTube and we are concurrently on YouTube right now. Is that right? Yes, indeedy. And much of our back art, uh, back library archive, whatever you want to call it, is there as well. So check out some of the uh, the outfits that I've uh, I've put on for the evening, if as it were. There you go. And let me just say hi to the folks in the chat room right now. We are so pleased to be joined by our good pal Tommy Hash Browns, and also from around the world. Uh, R.T. Cruiser from Australia. And also, we have Marn Gertz. And and we have, uh, once again, Cronehaven, the ever-mysterious Cronehaven joining us. So welcome all. Glad you're here. All righty. So this film came out in 1991. And, and Toppy, uh, what do we normally like to do? Well, we want to set the stage Let's get a feel for what was going on in the world when uh, this movie came out in 1991. Okay, the world history in 1991. Sharon Pratt-Dixon was sworn in as the mayor of the District of Columbia. She was the first African-American woman of a southern city. Also, Pan Am, they filed bankruptcy. And the U.S. entered into the Middle East crisis with Operation Desert Storm. And uh, Exxon, the uh, the big gas 
company and oil well they agreed to pay a, a thousand million a thousand million not just a thousand or a million a thousand million dollars for the alaska valdez oil spill cleanup effort yo so germany uh they were reunited with their pre-war territories after the occupying forces being france the uk us and the soviet union and they relinquished all the rights to them also in 91 queen elizabeth liz she became the first british monarch to address the u.s congress back in 91 Alrighty, so a handful of other things, and these are, are things that were more important to me because I was a, a younger sort in that day. The Super Nintendo, at <laughs> least for sale in the U.S. Woohoo, Mario! Now, did were you able to get it? Uh, well, I was the youngest of four, so it was a pretty penny, and uh, I ruined Christmas one year because I wanted it so bad, and Mom and Dad couldn't afford it. Uh, anyways, uh, they, uh, Super Nintendo came out that year. The U.S. recognized the Baltic Republics, which were the former Soviet Union republics of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And uh, the dissolution of the USSR occurred in the 1991. And then lastly, uh, Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, announced that he was HIV positive and had developed AIDS. Hmm. Well, let's take a look at some uh, births, um, celebrity births. Um, Arthur Murray. Uh, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> yeah. uh, this, is a, this is a death, not a birth. <laughs> right. It, as, as Gene Wilder says, and as, um, as um, Willy Wonka, strike that and reverse it. Exactly. Um, pardon me. Arthur Murray, dance instructor of great fame. He, he died at 95. Also, another dancer, completely different kind of dancer. Uh, Martha Graham. She died at 96. Actor Michael Landon. Uh, way too young, passes at 54. Um, so did Dr. Seuss, uh, who died in a box in his socks and his, no, I don't know. And he was at 87 when he passed Gene Roddenberry, uh, because we can't not do an episode of them. <laughs> Matt Damon, who should not mention Star Trek or Gene Roddenberry. He died at 70 in 1991. Alrighty, so Dutch, which is the title of tonight's film, and, and no, we're not talking about the wacky tabacky. Uh, that is the name of Ed O'Neill's character in this film. He is a self-made man, and uh, as the uh, the boy in the lead role would tell you, he's working class. So in uh, let's see, in 1991, Dutch came out, but it didn't really place. No surprise. <laughs> We love the underdog here. So these are the hits that fell from the box office and some that were at the top. In the top of the box office in 91 was the sequel, Terminator 2. Of course, that starred future California governor, Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that brought in $204 million that year. Also, with the top of the box office number two, 
starring Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman. And I will admit, sadly, I sang one of the songs from the soundtrack at my sister's wedding, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, continuing on. Number wait, 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 wait. Uh-huh. I, I, I need to know. Uh, so there was a song in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. In the soundtrack, yes. It okay, was and by... you sang it at your sister's wedding. Yes, and um, it was by uh, a Canadian rock singer, um, Brian Adams. Okay. Uh, everything I do, I'll do it for you. Uh, right. And uh, coincidentally, that marriage didn't uh, last. But oh, I mean, no! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I claim no responsibility no, no, no. with my singing. No, uh, no. But anyways, uh, throw a little salt over your shoulder, folks. Number three, Beauty and the Beast. And that brought in $145 million. Now, it uh, also introduced us, well, it reintroduced us to some fabulous people that put their voices to the soundtrack of the film there miss angela lansbury who i do believe became a jame later years and uh from our favorite show in the 70s there mr david ogden steers he was oh. in the cast from the animated film beauty and the beast okay i did not know he yeah. did a voice in that what what did he play uh i believe he was the voice, no he was the voice of the clock he was oh, sort clock. of a, a chaperone type character okay uh and uh he and mrs potts who was angela lansbury they were the the older members of the staff at the at the oh, okay oh dear and we get to we get to our poor movie dutch <laughs> now dutch was a summer release so, I mean, you know, it's it's a movie about Thanksgiving, so why not put it in the summer? Sure. <laughs> and, you know, summer and the holidays are the two big times a year that uh, the studios put movies out. So I guess they, they must have had uh, too big a competition to try to put it where it belonged. But anyways, it didn't profit at the box office. It cost $17 million, and today it has only brought in $4.6 million now. Oops. Yeah, Oops, that's really bad. That's really bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, my my uh, my my library card. Uh, it's got some interesting punches in it. But uh, of the films that did place that year, let's talk about the middle of the road because uh, you know that's a happy thought. Maybe if Dutch had done well, it would have strived for the middle of the road. Now, the number 100 of the box office that year starred Mr. John Ritter, who, of course, many will remember from the Three's Company series. And uh, he was in a film with Pam Dauber that was on Mork and Mindy. This was called Stay Tuned. And uh, it was about a man that got uh, sucked into the world of uh, the TV shows that he watched. So uh, one better than Stay Tuned because, you know, maybe Dutch did better. Number 99 was a film called Whispers in the Dark. Uh, talk about being in the dark in the, in the middle of the uh, the year there. And uh, this was a film that starred Annabella Sciorra. Now, she's a lady that was in a favorite Robin Williams film of mine. She played the wife in What Dreams May Come. Uh, but this film also starred Alan Alda. Whispers in the Dark brought in an $11.1 And then finally, the last film on the list for 1991 was a film called Glengarry Glen Ross. Try saying that three times fast. Um, it brought in $10.7 and it starred Al Pacino and, of all people, Alec Baldwin. 
Uh-oh, cancel culture. I don't know. We may be canceling. We may be canceling Alec Baldwin in the <laughs> not too distant future, if you haven't already. Mm. Oh goodness! Well, let's talk about the the director because it's a little interesting. Um, so the uh, Dutch was produced and written by John Hughes. Now, uh, what are some of the big uh, Home Alone? Certainly, probably his biggest. Uh, what are some others, DJ? John Hughes did po- oh. what he did Porky's, right? Right. And he did all those movies in the 80s about teen drama. And uh, they, they called the kids the Brat Pack, not the Rat Pack, but the Brat Pack. And that included things like 16 Candles. Yeah. He certainly is someone who seems to be. Uh, enamored with his memories of growing up and boobs. <laughs> uh, so um, he wrote it, he produced it, he put it all together. Uncle Buck, R.T. Cruiser says, that's another good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe he's passed now, right? Yeah, sadly, we lost John Hughes in 2009 at the age of 59. He unexpectedly had a heart attack while visiting a family member in New York City. Okay, so he put this movie together and he chose as his director, a guy named Peter Feynman, who is uh, who who is from Australia uh, born in Melbourne. And <clears throat> he, he he produced TV shows there. All kinds of uh, he did the Paul Hogan show, the Graham Kennedy show, the Don Lane show, the Burt Newton show. Now, none of this, none of these names except Paul Hogan are familiar to me. But R.T. Cruiser say, you know, tell us if you recognize the Ernie Sigley show. Those are things that he did in Australia. Um, and of course, the Paul Paul Hogan went on to do um, uh, Crocodile Dundee which Peter Feynman directed. It was his first <clears throat> Australian movie and his only Australian movie. Uh, Crocodile Dundee was a gigantic, huge hit in Australia and uh, worldwide. It did great business. It certainly did great in the United States. Uh, so at some point in the 90s, uh, he came to America to produce television and he uh, uh, he did uh, the reporters and a curtain affair. Those are both news magazine programs on the Fox network. Oh, with Mari Povich. <laughs> Mari Povich. Wow. <laughs> Who isn't dead yet, but he should be. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> he guided the launch of the FX TV network. And he was the coordinating director for the opening and closing broadcasts of the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. So that was his that was his thing. TV direction and production. I'd love to know why John Hughes chose Peter Feynman to direct this movie. I gather he didn't have time to do it himself. I'm not sure. And I also just have to assume that that he saw Crocodile Dundee and thought, this guy can do this. At any rate, 
Dutch is Peter Feynman's only other movie. So he's done, he did two movies, a great success and a box office bomb. Uh, he returned to Australia and has been busy doing TV over there ever since, but mostly as a program and production consultant. So I, I gather in his later years, he's just been, uh, you know, probably living a great life and has done very, very well for himself in TV. Oh, he also produced uh, an animated feature. And I remember it, but I never saw it. It was called Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. So oh, there you I, go. That's uh, Peter Feynman. I think I remember seeing that. Of course, I was an uncle at an early age. Um, I think that uh, probably by the time Dutch came out, in fact. So uh, Fern Gully is one of those things that uh, we would put in the VCR to, to babysit the kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in the chat room, Cronhaven says that she thinks Al Bundy got Ed O'Neill the job in Dutch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, they did have several other people in mind for the character and um, partly on the on the uh, choice of of Peter Feynman versus John Hughes. John Hughes felt because this is his thing. He, He wrote script after script after script and some of these things didn't get developed until years later, but he felt that Dutch was too much alike some of his more recent films. So um, he wanted it made into a movie, but he wasn't going to direct it. So the studio picked Peter Feynman. So, okay. And, and, you know, that's a lot of critics noted the same thing that uh, Dutch seemed to be a rehash of a lot of stuff he'd already done. Nonetheless, um, um, where do you want to go next, DJ? Well, we are at about the halfway mark in the show. So we're going to step on over here to the F bar. And uh, Gertie is serving up some treats. So, uh, you know, get yourself a Boilermaker and uh, sit in for a spell. And uh, this is an interview done by the Dallas Morning News. Oh, she's my favorite lady. What's her name? <laughs> Bobby Wyant. And uh, well, let's just say she's a conservative Texas news reporter who sometimes asks questions uh, of things that are none of her business. But um, we are celebrating her uh, career because she has retired. And uh, this is an interview with Peter Feynman. Uh, from the uh, the film Dutch with uh, Dallas Morning News reporter uh, Bobby Wyant. In making the movie Dutch, where you did do a great deal of traveling, what sort of problems did that pose for you as the director? Um, well, it was a greater joy than it was problems because of the, the people I met in the beautiful parts of America that I saw. Um, but the problem basically was that we were shooting in the winter. Um, and when you're shooting in the winter in Illinois uh, and throughout the night in the open, uh, it's uh, sometimes not the joy that it might be sitting on a Florida beach. It was very cold. What is it about John Hughes that he he just has this thing about winter? The Home Alone people had the same problem. Well, yes, I had a lot of snow to put down in Home Alone, Uh, a lot of artificial snow. We didn't have to worry about that. We're well taken care of. 
with too much snow in many cases. But I guess it's uh, John is connected, if you will, with the with the grassroots attitude of America, and he loves Chicago, and uh, he uh, uh, and he loves the visuals and the joy of winter. And I think there is a lot of joy in it, and there's a lot of uh, warmth, if you will, in the intercommunication of people in that kind of environment. So the harsh environment in the, in this film in Dutch. Um, is really part and parcel of the environment in which these two characters go through and finally come together. Peter, I think my favorite scene in the whole movie, the fireworks. I just love that. It's so well orchestrated, comes off so well. Mm. Now tell me about that scene. First of all, that place does exist, doesn't it? Well, it, it does exist. In Tennessee, there, is, uh, there are huge supermarkets on the border that sell fireworks. I mean, they are huge supermarkets. It looks like Vegas. And you can go in there and for a few bucks buy all kinds of fireworks and um, run outside and go down the road a bit and sort of let them off. But that, uh, that firework sequence actually was, was my favorite sequence too because I was allowed to let the fireworks off. And uh, so I was running around with all kinds of fireworks and holding onto them and blowing them past camera, et cetera. So uh, everybody saw me as a maniac that day. But it's a lovely scene and it's great. Uh, Ed does a Chaplin-esque performance uh, in that whole scene. We had miles of footage and it was very hard to pick uh, what we had to use because there was so much really good stuff to throw out that we had to throw out. But uh, it was an important part in the movie as well, of course, because it was the beginning of the relationship between these two characters. I had a great time doing that scene. And it was only one day of shooting? Uh, well, it was uh, a couple of nuts, because when you're working with pyrotechnics, as we call them in the industry, <laughs> <laughs> not fireworks, pyrotechnics, uh, you know, there's a lot of organization to do, and, and, um, uh, and, and that was quite a, a heavy part and very physical part for Ed to play. And of course, you've got to go outside and light acres of land, the fireworks aren't enough to do it for you. Okay. Is it me? Okay. So that was a, uh, Ed O'Neill, I guess, really had a lot of chances to play around uh, in that scene with the fireworks. What do we know about Ed O'Neill, DJ? Alrighty, so now we're discussing the cast of the film because there were several people who came together and gave you the talent behind this story. And uh, Mr. Ed O'Neill, he was cast in the lead as Dutch Dooley, the self-made man and boyfriend. Now, Ed O'Neill was born in Ohio. He attended Ohio State at Youngstown on a football scholarship because, you know, what do you do when you're in uh, small town America? You, you either uh, get good grades or you're an athlete. And uh, during this time, he was drafted to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the oh. summer of 69. I did not know that. Yeah. And uh, after being cut from the team, which was during training camp, Oops. he returned to his alma mater to join the theater department. Now, oh, of all things. Yeah. Uh, I guess if you, you know, if you, if you can't throw the ball far enough, um, you know, maybe you can charm them on the stage. 
And uh, after graduation, Mr. O'Neill, well, he was a teacher for a while. He taught social studies. <laughs> and in 86, Ed O'Neill was cast to play the role originated by Gene Hackman in the Americanized TV adaptation of The French Connection, which was named Popeye Doyle. Mm. Now, this was not picked up as a series, so they only filmed a pilot. Womp womp. Oh. A year later, he was cast in his most iconic role to date as Al Bundy, the shoe salesman, head of the, uh, you know, the uh, dysfunctional family in the decade-long Fox TV series Married with Children, which I wasn't allowed to watch, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> and uh, Dutch was Ed O'Neill's fifth film. So maybe you didn't see him in much as a leading role, up until he got into Married with Children, but this was actually his fifth film. Mm. Now, his first film was in 89, so just a handful of years earlier. It was called Disorganized Crime, and this starred um, uh, TV's Corbin Burnson, and I think that he was uh, in a... a well, L.A. Law. Yeah, so I was going to say a legal drama, L.A. Law there. Corbin Burnson, and of course, everybody's favorite actor from the Munsters, Fred Gwynn. Now, in uh, Disorganized Crime, he played a detective in a supporting role. Now, uh, moving forward, his films prior to Dutch was... And I'm, I'm gathering Disorganized Crime was a, a, a comedy. I think so, especially with Fred Gwynn. Yeah. Um, now, just prior to Dutch, he was in a film in 1990. And this is one that I've been meaning to see. I haven't caught just yet, but it has Kirstie Alley, uh, you know, the first Savik uh, from Star Trek, and Carrie Fisher, everyone's favorite space princess. This right. film called Sibling Rivalry. Folks, did you notice how he wove Star Trek in there again? Did you hear that? Had Did you to. see him do that slightly? That was solid. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's the season of giving, and I have to share the love. <laughs> now, O'Neill would star in four films over the next five years. Five wow. Dutch. His next film it was in a supporting role in 1992's Wayne's World with Dana Carvey and Mike Myers. Huh. Now, he uh, more recently finished an 11-season run, so he did Good one better. Lord. Yes, he did one better than Married with Children. He's paying the bills, folks, on ABC's Modern Family, which starred um, a uh, one of the first uh, daytime, not daytime, um, evening family sitcom couples, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. <clears throat> couple and then um, everybody's a uh, favorite um latin actress that they can't pronounce her name sovia vergara no <laughs> and to date um ed o'neill has had 68 acting credits pretty good for uh, an ex-football player um gotta tell you i i rather liked ed o'neill in this movie and uh, I know you've got a story to tell, but uh, I, I could not stand Married with Children. Mm -hmm. It was uh, second only to um, Three's Company, that insipid 1970s piece of disgust <laughs> that went on and on and on, uh, while John Ritter clearly was a comedic 
out um, giant. It it was it was just so insipid. How could American TV produce shows like All in the Family, uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and then come out with Three's Company? Oh, <laughs> so you weren't allowed to watch it. No, uh, married would. <laughs> pardon me. Married with children was one of the flagships of the newly launched Fox TV network. And um, interestingly enough, while I was not allowed to watch it because my household was a little bit more conservative, uh, hubby Billy's family, um, they didn't have those same rules. He was growing up in a household where his folks were divorced. And uh, I'm sure that mom probably didn't um, you know, keep as close an eye over what her kids watched. So married with children was right up his alley. But um, <laughs> I just find it interesting that while I wasn't allowed to watch married with children, somehow Dutch slipped right in and dad just didn't manage to notice that it was the guy from married with children in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, let's talk about Ethan Embry. Well, he, um, do well, we have time to to talk about that moment quickly? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, sorry. So there there are a lot of different themes that are in this film. And um, aside from it being a road trip movie, this is also a movie that involves male bonding. And, you know, in today's a, day and age, uh, we are trying to turn the page and a put chauvinism in the past but there are still these moments between generations and that's what we have here in dutch whether or not you care for some of the inappropriate moments it's character building so one of the moments that you shouldn't miss if you haven't seen this film is when ed o'neill's character arrives at his girlfriend's kids boarding school so doyle the the son is away at boarding school so you know that that family is well to do and uh, he is expecting to spend thanksgiving at his father's but here comes the working class claude dutch doyle or uh, sorry dutch dooley that uh, shows up at his boarding school and uh, he's just going to take him on a road trip because he's coming home with him to mom and uh you know, uh, he did not quite impress when he arrived, right, Toppy? <laughs> well, no, actually, he got in, you know, with no one's permission. He just went straight in, which I'm questioning that, well, maybe back then it would have been possible. Not now. There's there's security at places like this, and you have to have a, you have to have a, a card to get into doors like that. Anyways, yeah, he shows up and... The kid isn't there, and um, uh, he starts looking around the room, and it's quite quite the room, and he's got quite the uh, accoutrements, uh, clearly showing this is a, a very well-to-do kid. And uh, the kid comes in and, and thinks it's his dad because he's seen him from behind. He's really excited. Uh, and then Ed O'Neill turns around. Oh, not his dad. It must be 
Stranger danger. <laughs> he goes into defense mode. It's been established that the kid knows karate and practices and basically uh, wallops Ed O'Neill into the next uh, week um, <laughs> until uh, until Ed O'Neill gets uh, the upper hand. Uh, so, um, yeah, so the spoiled kid can uh, take care of himself, allegedly, but uh, we learn more through the journey. So, Toppy, uh, who is the young man playing the son in this film? Uh, yeah, I, I'll just say one last thing about the setup of, of this movie that included that scene at the boarding school. Uh, I thought it set it up nicely that from the very beginning, it sets up who the mother is. It sets up who Ed O'Neill is. It sets up the hoity toity uh, husband, original husband, the villain of the movie, if you will. And, uh, and it sets up, you know, that this is going to be uh, this, this travel log of these two guys this adult and this kid is not going to be easy or maybe even pleasant uh so i I thought they did a really good job of just getting all that done in like the first 15 minutes and then boom you're off on the road trip so ethan embry uh he's uh, plays the uh plays doyle standish uh uh the uh, son who who really seems to have uh lost his youth uh, he's very adult um he has a very good vocabulary uh but he he's like how old would you say he's supposed to be Deej? i'd say he's in his early teens maybe 12 or 13 i think that's a good bet uh and you can just tell that he's like old being like he, he's not a typical kid at all. He's, he's much. Uh, he, in fact, he doesn't relate to anyone at the school that they clearly show that he is the oddball out. And he, he has such a negative way of carrying himself that none of the other students like him at all or want to be around him. He's a loner for sure. Anyways. Ethan Embry is born, was born in California. Dutch was the second film. Uh, his first was uh, Defending Your Life uh, with Meryl Streep and Rip Torn. That was an Albert Brooks movie. Uh, and the five years that followed uh, Dutch, Embry would appear in seven more films. He was busy at this age. I, you know, kid, good kid actors were in demand. Uh, so after Dutch, he did All I Want for Christmas in 91 with Lauren Bacall and Andrea Martin. In 93, he did A Far Off Place with Reese Witherspoon. That was about two teenagers in Africa escaping poachers that raided the family home. Uh, well, uh, he's still acting. That's the, the great news. I mean, here's a kid actor who, you know, seems to have gone on and uh, is still acting today. He's got 101 acting credits, and most recently, you could see him uh, on a reoccurring role on seven seasons of Netflix's series uh, Grace and Frankie, which has met with great critical and 
a claim. Uh, that's uh, that's the uh, Netflix series with Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. And he plays uh, Lily Tomlin's son, Coyote. Right. So um, another great character building moment in Dutch, because as you mentioned, uh, Doyle, he's a young man who's lost his youth and uh, his mom's working class boyfriend. He's been sent to fetch him and it's not on the top of his list to impress the kid but it seems like that's the only way he's going to learn he earn his trust. So there's this wonderful scene in the movie where somewhere along the way they're uh, they're heading back home to Chicago from the south and they stop by a place to get what toppy? Uh, fireworks. So this is a point in the movie where Dutch is really trying. I mean, he's been kicked in the nuts, he's been punched in the nose, he's been shot at well, we'll talk about that later. Um, and uh, but he, all that has happened, and it's clearly not going well at all. But he is still like, I'm going to do this. I'm into it. I, uh, I'm, I, I'm going to do this. It's going to work. And so he's like, mm, yeah, he's going to do it. And he buys some fireworks because really, Ed O'Neill is playing really a big kid. Um, Ed O'Neill's character has much more of a child inside him than poor, uh, um, what's his face? <laughs> uh, uh, poor Doyle. Um, <clears throat> so he buys fireworks and uh, the kid is like, mm-hmm, and uh, doesn't even go into the store with him. And he r- comes back with a giant bag full of fireworks of all different kinds of things. And uh, they, they just want to go someplace and set him off. And Ed O'Neill's character, well, he, Dutch thinks this is just going to knock uh, Doyle's socks off and impress him. And uh, he, he, it, it starts out, well, you know, when you've got fire and you've got fireworks, things happen. <laughs> and what happens, Deej? Well, he uh, he ends up actually... Um getting the bag caught on fire that had the remainder of the many fireworks that he purchased. And at some point, one of the fireworks, which was a, a rocket type, uh, went astray and, uh, well, it caught his jacket on fire. And uh, when he's getting back into the car, which Doyle refused to leave, he's watching this whole show from the car. Uh, there's this giant hole in the back of his jacket and these down feathers are just flying everywhere. Like it was some sort of a, a circus prank. Yeah. And also uh, the smoke coming off his jacket <laughs> was a great visual. So I'll tell you what, this is uh, a scene that, that cause I was worried about this movie up until now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was like, I had serious questions and this was the first scene where okay it kind of won me over a little and it's because things were so not going well and doyle was so by the way his name is standish and what he is is very standoffish Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and, and and he is not going along with nothing but while he's watching this shenanigans with Dutch and the fireworks. 
he cracks a smile. Mm-hmm. And you suddenly, realize, okay, okay, I can grab onto this. It made me say, I'm right. Uh, and it, it, it kept me in the movie. So really good scene. You know, and um, on my first viewings of this film, I, I tend to agree with your perception there that I was concerned about it. But now I realize that possibly the Dutch character is somebody who might not have any kids of his own. So he didn't know that some of the things that he was doing, like he brought back a deck of racy playing cards to share with the young guy, was inappropriate. Because again, maybe he didn't have kids, but he's trying his best. Yeah. He's kind of, <clears throat> really, he's well-intentioned, but he's kind of a big goofball. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does inappropriate things. Coincidentally, um, Doyle mentions that fireworks are illegal in his home state, which they, uh, up until more recent years, the majority of fireworks have been illegal in New York. And uh, just a quick side note, uh, I once tried to play it cool when I was a new uncle and my brother was lighting oh, no. up fireworks. Oh no. Yeah. And uh, well, anyways, my, my brother, um, he hung with the wrong crowd and he <laughs> when he was a teenager. So I tried to play it cool. And of course I can light a simple fireworks off with a lighter. No, oh. of course not. I, I burned my thumb trying to do it. Oh God. DJ. <laughs> holy cow it's a good thing you didn't uh, lose a finger poke your eye out good heavens (laughs) well tell us about uh uh doyle's mother who has a kind of a small part Mm -hmm. but an important part so joe beth williams played natalie which you don't really hear her uh name spoken except for conversations with her ex-husband and uh, she played this wonderfully warm character that was misunderstood by her child because, uh, you know, it had to be her fault that the divorce happened. So, uh, uh, Joe Beth. Well, of course, from from the son's point of from Doyle's point of view, exactly, it was clearly her mother's fault. He totally blamed her and her alone for not keeping the marriage together. Yeah, Doyle was at an impressionable age and, of course, just ate every word his father fed him. So, Joe Beth Williams was born in Texas and uh, while studying, of all things, psychology at Brown University in Rhode Island. So, she did some traveling when she went to school. She became involved in theater in Rhode Island. Now, that was after she was on the football team. Right. Uh, (laughs) With the fireworks and whatnot. By the 70s, she would move to New York City and become a regular on television in such daytime drama as Guiding Light. And during which she would eventually be cast opposite Dustin Hoffman in one of my favorite uh, films. Oh, my God. From the heyday of HBO. Uh, Because that's when I saw it. It was Kramer versus Kramer. I just as as soon as I saw those notes, just before you spoke it, I Mm -hmm. it I flashed. She was the friend. She was Dustin Hoffman's friend. That she that they were talking the park. Yeah, I know. Kramer versus Kramer, which is another of my favorite films from my youth. 
was directed by the same person that made Bonnie and Clyde with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. So now in 82, Jo Beth Williams was cast in possibly her most iconic role as the mother opposite Craig T. Nelson in Poltergeist. Now Dutch was her 13th film. So she knew what she was doing by Mm. this time. You know, maybe she gave uh, Ed O'Neill some pointers. Uh, But just prior to Dutch, she was in a film with Jimmy Smits and Lorraine Bracco, who is the actress who played the therapist on The Sopranos on HBO. It was a film called Switch. Hmm. And uh, it was a Blake Edwards film. Uh Uh-oh. Um, it was about a sexist womanizer who was killed by one of her his former lovers and then re- reincarnated as a woman. So, you know, some karma. And then after Dutch, she was cast in a supporting role in, of all things, Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty. Stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> oh, poor Joe Beth. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Joe Beth. I'm so sorry. We all have to do a few clinkers. (laughs) Well, you know, it's clinking on my wall because I do love a good bad movie. (laughs) Right. So she would star in three more movies over the next five years and work primarily in television. Uh, So, you know, because they had her number. Uh, Most recently, she had a series of recurring appearances in the CW's Heart of Dixie, which was a TV series about a woman doctor in the South. Now, also, more recently, in 2020, she played the role of the lead character's mother in a film called What the Night Can Do. This is about a 12-year-old girl struggling to grasp the world collapsing around her. And overall, to date, Jo Beth Williams has 123 acting credits, so she's good at paying her bills. Yeah, she's very appealing in, in the stuff she's done course poltergeist she her performance really the whole movie rested on her shoulders i think now we were talking earlier and i told you uh she had passed and i don't know what made me think that but i was convinced really that she had passed but she's still with us right she is okay so another great moment that we'll talk briefly about because um this whole film like a lot of road trip movies is about the evolution of the character and uh you know the privileged son doyle has uh, had everything handed to him in life and at one point uh through uh choices he's made they're stranded on the road because the car has been totaled and they're trying to make their way home and they end up in the homeless shelter and uh toppy um this is just one of those great character building moments because now Doyle gets to see how the average person or the less fortunate is getting by. That's the word, the less fortunate. Now this is another scene that brought me back and said, okay, all right, this movie does have something to say. It does. It is. It is. It's okay. Cause there's a lot of, for me, there's a lot of places in this movie where it, it it goes off and to areas that I I think were t- terrible choices by the writer and the and the director, but this scene in the homeless shelter grounds it <clears throat> uh, because uh, a Doyle gets into uh, a, a conversation at night. Um, 
uh, and they're whispering because there's a huge number of people sleeping on cots in this shelter. But right next to Doyle is a woman who has a little girl and she tells a little bit of her story and he listens and this is like a revelation to him. I mean, he's clearly never thought about uh, lives, alternative lives to his own. You know, he's, he's this well-to-do kid. He's never thought about this stuff, but here he is in a homeless shelter with this mother and this kid and, and he hears some of their story and you and it's quite nice. This is a very nice moment. And he, he begins to understand he's learning more about the world outside of his own life. And you can tell he's that it's touched him. And, you know, at this point in the movie, he's starting to change his mind about some of the, uh, the um, impressions he's been given about how folks are in the world, because he was taught that, you know, his father had money and that folks who were intellectuals and could, you know, make important decisions were the folks that, uh, you know, had it made. But the folks that worked for their money, they weren't as smart like uh, Dutch. And uh, as they are coming closer to Chicago, which isn't far from Doyle's home with his mother, we notice something along the, the highway there. There's a sign, a big billboard, and it's an advertisement, Dutch Dooley Construction Company. So this guy that he's been on the road with, he's been holding out. He's had the means to get home this whole time, but he wanted to prove to the boy that he had his wits about him and that he was a man of the world and that there was nothing wrong with that. There you go. Yeah. There's another, along with this homeless shelter segment, there's great comedic fodder. Uh, that comes out of this rich kid, you know, slumming it at the uh, the homeless shelter because while they're eating, uh, Doyle has this whole routine where he he places all the silverware in the places that you would if you were at a formal dinner party or dinner uh, uh, gathering, and you you had a formal dinner setting. He's placing all of his silverware like here's the thing this goes here this goes here and then he he pulls out of his pocket one of those sanitizing wipe things out of its packet and he wipes his mouth and he wipes cleans his hands so that he's all and everyone all these people in the shelter are like watching him do this like what the hell <laughs> so there's some really good comedic moments that come out of that. Um, <clears throat> we've got to wrap it up pretty soon, DJ, but let's, uh, well, I got to talk about some of the things where I got bent out of shape. Mm -hmm. One was the gun. Yeah. I, I don't even, they don't even explain what kind of gun <clears throat> that Doyle has at the beginning of the movie that he shoots the, the intruder who is, uh, you know, uh, Dutch. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you know, it looks like a real gun, but it shoots 
what does it shoot? It's not bullets. What what I, does it shoot? It's not BBs. Well, I, I I don't know for sure, but I assume that they're trying to imply that it's supposed to be somewhat harmless like a BB. So whatever it is, it's supposed to be like a BB gun. It's just the 90s equivalent. Okay, so, but they don't explain. And I guess if you don't, I mean, I don't know guns from nothing. And as soon as the kid brandished the gun, I immediately went, oh, uh, geez, you know, did we have to bring a gun into this? And then he shoots and it, 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 whatever it is, doesn't penetrate the skin, but it sure does hurt when it hits the skin. So I don't know what kind of gun this is. And the gun has a, a role to play at the end of the movie. But anyways, that was one area where it just I just said, did we? Oh, God, we're going down a road. I don't want to. And it was very it was very awkward. Mm-hmm. The other point is when the two prostitutes come into the scene uh, uh, as 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 a uh, way, uh, you know, uh, they hitchhike with them, basically. Right. They, they turn out to the car. At that yeah. Point. Ed O'Neill's in the front seat with one of the girls and the kids in the back seat with the other girl. Awkward as hell. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is just an awful choice. Now, it kind of saves itself because the, the prostitute in the back seat seems to have a good nature and they actually talk and they connect a little and the kid is like, of course, like super charged about being in the back seat with this pretty lady. It's like, you know, he's really getting off on this. And then it, it, it kind of it, it's almost sweet. And then it comes to be the, the next morning, the kids laying on her boobs asleep. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, OK, this is kind of sweet. The next thing I know, he lifts his face off the boobs and he's drooled all over them. And I said, gross, ew, please help me, God. I want to turn this movie off again. So I don't know. Were there any moments like that for you? That's a couple of them for me. In my defense, I think that I was about the age that Doyle was when I saw this movie. So I think that I could relate to some of those uncomfortable, awkward moments. Cause you know, even though my bread ended up being buttered on a different side, uh, I still went through that same experience because in those days we certainly didn't come out of the closet when we were 15 years old, despite my, my husband's, uh, you know, uh, chapter in life. Um, you know, see, uh, stay tuned for that book. But anyway, <laughs> some of us have to have those uncomfortable moments because our our parents aren't sure. Are they going to start dating? Is this when they, you know, uh, take an interest? Do they like blondes or brunettes? And it's just like, I'll just sit here and quietly watch the movie and laugh at the awkward moments. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> It, it worked for me when I see him waking up and, and he's nestled in, in their boobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drill thing just, it, and then she's, she wipes it off later. And it's like, come on that, you know, I would have been very happy without the drool at any rate. So for me, 
as I've mentioned already, there, I, there's several points in the movie that, that just make me want to, oh, and then I'm brought back in by a really good scene. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and let's just end by, by saying wonderfully the last scene uh, where he's reunited with his mother is wonderful. And it it it's it nails the ending. Amazingly, it nails the ending. It's a real <clears throat> like, well, it's heartwarming, can we just say? And this kid who spent the whole movie hating his mother uh, at the end embraces his mother. And it makes it all like, okay, you know. Ah. Uh, this movie was a bit of a ride, but I'm with it. I'm with it still. This is a great ending. So what did you think about that? Yeah. And, you know, um, it, it may be a little difficult to find folks. You might have to hunt under a rock because this is made by 20th Century Fox back in the day. So they are part of the mouse house now. And they'd they'd rather you forgot this was made because this film was PG-13 when it came out and it skirted that border of being an R-rated film because of some of the scenes like the racing playing cards and the sex workers in the car. But if you approach this film with the understanding that maybe Ed O'Neill's character, who is just a giant child, is somebody who doesn't know that some of his choices are inappropriate because he doesn't have kids, it might be a little easier for you to accept things. But, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I think that this is a, a rare film for this, this uh, subject matter only because it's set at Thanksgiving, and the majority of holiday films that you can find are set at Christmas. I can only think of this and Home for the Holidays, directed by Jodie Foster, that are set at Thanksgiving. All right, yeah. Ultimately because it graced us with this ending, it, it, it sort of redeemed everything. And on the whole, I do recommend this movie. It's pretty fun. And, and it, there's a lot of shenanigans, but there's, there's a heart to it. So I recommend it. Yeah. And, and if you're a fan of the, uh, the eighties uh, NBC sitcom, Kate and Allie, you get to see the uh, oldest teen daughter grown up and, uh, playing a sex worker and then uh there's there's a couple of other character actors in this film the woman who played joe beth uh williams's mother in this in the kitchen she's oh a, who was she um she is a she was a little deer yeah let me take uh, i believe her name is kathleen freeman okay kathleen freeman is a character actress who was in many things, including one of Leslie Nielsen's last films, Naked Gun 33 and a third. Um, but she was, I believe, briefly on um, Step by Step that we talked about last year. And Patricia Darbo was the waitress in the diner. Where, oh, yeah. <laughs> where, you know, uh, when he is, at, when Doyle is asked what he wants, uh, his answer is, what won't make me vomit? <laughs> yeah gotta say that diner scene is a bit of a gem 
it is so gross. Uh, the food in that diner. <laughs> they really, they really drive that home. Um, and of course, that 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 whole scene is like way beneath this rich kid. <laughs> and he responds uh appropriately mm-hmm. uh well yeah good choice dj i enjoyed it thank you so uh we are almost at the end here we're just going to briefly go on to a section we like to call our snack tray these are things that you might enjoy if you like things like dutch now if you haven't seen dutch it is a lot like uh, other john hughes films so if you're a john hughes fan it might be worth tracking down a gently used copy somewhere out there so um i like to introduce folks to films they haven't seen so um something that's similar to dutch is a film from 2009 which i haven't seen but it stars justin timberlake and jeff bridges this is a film called the open road and it's about a man who embarks on a road trip with his girlfriend and his estranged baseball legend father. Hmm. I've never seen it or heard of it. Uh, nice. That sounds good. I'd like to see that. So I'm, I'm just going to recommend another John Hughes movie along the lines of Dutch, a road movie that maybe kind of did it all a bit better than this movie. And it's called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with uh, John Candy and Steve Martin. And, uh, you know, this movie kind of nailed it everywhere. Uh, and and would, uh, certainly made money. I mean, it was a, it was a bona fide hit. Uh, whereas Dutch, you know, suffered from like in my opinion, bad choices, planes, trains, and automobiles was right on the Monday. So yeah, if you like, uh, if you saw Dutch and liked it, uh, watch planes, trains, and automobiles. And you know, planes, trains, and automobiles is one of those movies that you can watch over and over again. I watched it a few years ago and it had been the first time since I was a young guy that I watched it. And it certainly presses buttons differently when you're older and you can understand a little bit more about what John Candy's character went through. Interesting, because I've only seen it once and it was when it first came out. I should tune in again. Yes. All right, Tommy. So as uh, we have mentioned before, the marionette is a uh, celebrated venue. And there's many things that have gone on here. We had a magician who once performed here and he left his bag of coins. Can you grab that for me? Okay, here you go. Get those coins out. Yeah. All right, let's see what's coming up. Yeah. So what you did there is you you put that magic coin into a gumball machine, didn't you? We did. All right. And a capsule came out. We so, said Gertie's rays. Yeah. <laughs> so what is what's in that capsule? All right. Oh. oh, I should open it. Yes, go ahead, sir. Okay, here we go. Oh, next time, folks. Uh we're we're doing a a, a real uh oh heartwarming Christmas movie, in my opinion. The only place I've ever found it was on YouTube. If you can't get it anywhere else, go to YouTube. You'll find this movie. It is Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. 
It was made for television way back in 1966. It's not even 50 minutes, folks. It's very short. And uh, it was uh, written and narrated by Truman Capote. It starred Geraldine Page. And it's a largely autobiographical story. And it takes place in the 1930s. And it describes a period in the lives of the seven-year-old narrator and an elderly woman who is his distant cousin and best friend as they set out to make their annual fruitcakes that they enjoy making for the people in their lives that they like. And uh, the evocative narrative focuses on country life, friendship, loneliness and loss, and the joy of giving during the Christmas season. This is a gem, folks. This is a gem. Please watch this. A Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. We're going to talk about it next time on Matinee Minutia. And that will be on the third Friday of the month, which is December 17th, one week from the big day. Yes. Oh, so we are out here in the lobby. And before we say goodnight, sir, let us know who was in the chat room this evening. We'd like to thank once again, uh, Marin Gertz. We'd like to thank Artie Cruiser. We'd like to thank Tommy Hash Browns and the ever mysterious Cronehaven. Thank you all for being here. It makes it so much nicer when we've got company. Thank you all. Okay. You know what? It's time for her bus, so I'm going to let Gertie dance us out here. Woohoo! Holy cow. Whoa! Way to go, Mama. You know, I always forget how agile she is. And what she can do with a feather boa. <laughs> oh, DJ. Oh, hey, you know what? I, 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 we do really do need to give her a raise. It's time for her to get a pedicure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks oh. for joining us, everybody. Have a good night. And uh, what did we say in the days of the old radio there, sir? Say good night. Uh, what was it? Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.